Hello and welcome to the Motion E podcast. I'm S. Garlic and uh, this is an edition where we're going to look at something away from the Formula E circuit because um, something that electric motorsport has to get better at in the future is uh, pr- providing um, pr- providing forms of motorsport that are available to people maybe outside of the top echelon of motorsport, maybe people on the club racing scene, for example. Uh, if if motorsport is to go all electric, then eventually there has to be a racing ladder available. And uh, one of the companies looking to uh, find a way to do this is, is Hypercraft. And uh, I'm very pleased to be talking to um, its CEO and co-founder, uh, Jake Hawksworth, uh, over in Carson, California. Hello, Jake. Thanks for uh, getting up this morning, as it is now, to uh, talk to us about this. Yeah, good morning. Uh, it's it's great to be joining you and excited to talk about these topics. Yeah, so Jake, maybe start off with the um, overall um, mission of Hypercraft and uh, what, what you're doing right now, because uh, you, you are manufacturing uh, drive systems for various vehicles, not just cars, by the way, and we'll get into that, but... Um, I, I guess you've probably got some words on the reason why you set up and founded Hypercraft and also the mission of the company, first of all. Yeah, um, I'd love to, to kind of explain that. So, you know, at a, as a, at a very high level, our mission is, is to really democratize um, electric uh, powertrain system technology and the product. So as a company, we're, we're 100% focused on the design, engineering, and manufacturing of, of EV powertrain systems. Um, we are working to develop them in a way that allows uh, more of an agnostic um, you know, application. So the architecture, the components, um, you know, everything from the ESS or the battery systems to the control electronics and the motors and inverters um, are much more of a uh, kind of a, a blank slate for innovators and creatives to take those powertrain systems and, and integrate them into all kinds of different vehicle platforms. Um, so, so on one hand, you see, you know, very bespoke applications and a lot of vehicle developments where the EV powertrain technology is developed very specific to that vehicle platform, um, which really leverages the efficiencies and leverages the technology very well. Um, but then it can really only be used in that, that very singular vehicle platform, right? Um, mm. And when it's taken outside, it doesn't really work very well. So we've kind of, as a company, looked at, you know, what is, what is kind of the powertrain system to kind of just get it in the hands and, and democratize it in a way that's, that hasn't been done um, in, in the EV industry up to this point. Okay, and uh, why do you feel that uh, that EV powertrains need to be democratized? Uh, what what was what was not working essentially? What what was the what was the reason for there being a problem in your eyes? Well, I, I think it kind of gets down to really the origin of Hypercraft. So Hypercraft really started as a, a vehicle development company. Uh, we were going to develop high performance uh, power sports uh, in motorsport vehicle applications. And, you know, we wanted to develop them, you know, ground up with the latest in technology. And when we looked at powertrain being, you know, internal combustion, um, hybrid and complete electric, um, we, we really became kind of obsessed at the vehicle level with uh, complete EV. So battery uh, EV vehicles, because they allowed the batteries to be integrated in all these different ways. Um, 
you know, the space claims were very different. It was, it was like a new, exciting kind of new frontier. But as we pushed into it, <clears throat> what we realized was much of, much of the technology at the component level um, was very available, right? So mm -hmm. you could, you know, you could find bits and pieces of, of these powertrain sy systems from great companies around the world, uh, but they, they weren't ever designed to work in a complete system. So there was a lot of engineering and we hoped to go find companies around the world that um, you could go to and, and they had all the components working, right? They had all the battery um, packs and they had um, the motors and control electronics and they had charging systems and thermals and and it was like this this complete package a lot like we're used to with internal combustion engines um, but but there really wasn't anybody that kind of specialized in the in the complete system so as a vehicle manufacturer we felt really stuck and you know we kind of fit into that category of of you know kind of boutique um, and low volume and it was it was financially impossible, you know, to really even consider. So I think as, as a team, an early team, we believed that uh, EV technology was, was a better future, right? And we wanted to be a part of that better future. But we found ourselves in a position where we really couldn't. We didn't have access to the, to the technology. We didn't have access to the product. Um, and, and it became this much, much more distant future thing, you know, like, it wasn't, it was something that you had to consider maybe you wouldn't have access to for, for five to 10 years. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and it wasn't acceptable to just kind of default to, you know, internal combustion because, you know, internal combustion engines, you know, there's engine manufacturers all over the world that you can buy engines from. If you're, you know, anything from motorcycle engines to, you know, to, to 2000 horsepower plus turbocharged systems. So, that had become internal combustion engine technology had become democratized. You could find it everywhere. Um, but, but, you know, for us, this was 2019 and with all the talk around EV and so many great companies like Tesla and Rivian, you know, that seemed to be changing things in the consumer automotive market. Um, we, we felt like there should be more, right. There should be, there should be better solutions. There should be more out there. And, and so we pivoted as a company and we said, you know, somebody has to solve this, so so it might as well be us. And I think that's kind of the the typical entrepreneurial path, right? You you mm. you end up solving the biggest problem that you're faced with. And for us, it was was the EV powertrain system. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned Tesla and Rivian there. And uh, just before the call, you mentioned that uh, their offices are actually based not far from where you are um, over in Carson. And um, I mean, I guess it's a similar principle, isn't it, to Silicon Valley in terms of uh, um, the, the offices of companies uh, with similar concerns tend to pop up in the same place uh, for for um, obvious reasons of, um, of uh, sort of migration and infrastructure and availability. So do you find that uh, maybe some of your staff um, are people who maybe were working for those larger organizations but wanted to maybe work for somewhere with more of a startup mentality? Has that happened at all it has definitely you know there's a really strong collaborative nature within within the ev community and um you know sometimes you know companies kind of get out of the development phases they go into you know scaled manufacturing and so some of the, the engineers that were really challenged with early development and and you know things like system architecture and a lot of testing and validation 
um, you know, they're, they're kind of um, starting to get phased out of companies as they grow and mature. So <clears throat> that's, that's a great resource for a company like us. And um, because we are not, we're not ever working on just one vehicle platform, um, you know, there's dozens of, of different vehicle platforms that we support at any given time. Um, you know, it, it provides a great challenge. And so, so a lot of those engineers are, are very excited to come to work for a company like Hypercraft and, and be a part of what we're doing really at the powertrain system. Yeah. And um, how, how, do you, how do you keep those, uh, those, those engineers kind of driven and stimulated? For, for example, um, if, if you are trying to build something uh, to a relatively low cost compared to what the uh, competition is, then um, presumably corners have to be cut in terms of the materials you can use, the way you design it. Um, how, how do you keep your engineers driven and stimulated in that kind of, uh, you know, uh, pricing atmosphere? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a challenge, you know, I, I think you know, we're, we're still a very small company. We have about 75 um, employees, um, you know, at, at this current time and we are growing very quickly, but there's, there's obvious limitations that, that we have as a company. And um, I think that sometimes inspires more creativity. Um, I, I think engineers are very practical and in, in understanding the realities of, of, you know, not only our customers' needs and their applications, but, um, <clears throat> we also have, you know, many different parts of our company. We have, you know, some larger scale programs and developments um, and these core technologies and core products that we're able to to really start to scale the volumes and drive down those costs. So, um, you know, we're we're kind of on track to, to manufacture, um, you know, into the tens of thousands of powertrain systems for our, our companies in the, in the next three to four years. Uh, so, so it, even though there's, these specialized segments of motorsport um, and things like that, you know, the agnostic nature of our powertrain system technology allows us to look at the way they integrate into many different applications. And so those challenges, it requires a lot of creativity, a lot of imagination. And, and I think, you know, I was a design engineer for about 15 years and, hmm. you know, there's, there's a lot of engineers that are just really drawn to this type of thing, right? The, the challenge of it all. And I think that's how we keep them all simulated. And it's it's difficult work, right? But um, it, it has a um, a very positive outcome, and we're excited about our impact in the world. And maybe sketch out for us. Uh, you, you've been a design engineer for you say fifteen years. So, how did you start out in your career, and uh, when did you decide that uh, EV technology was the way that you wanted your career and indeed your entrepreneurship to go? Yeah, so um, kind of like my early career was was mainly in, in suspension and chassis development, um, and I uh, I was working a lot in the power sports industry, and so I didn't I didn't really look very much at powertrain other than you know from vehicle dynamics and weight distribution and things like that. So it was always kind of this element of the vehicle that was critical to the vehicle, but you know, I had, didn't have a lot of personal connection to it, you know, in, in all of the, you know, the product development and vehicle programs that I had been a part of over that 15 period, period of time. Um, it wasn't until 2019 where I had the opportunity, along with um, my co-founders, to, to start Hypercraft and look at the, the whole vehicle, right, holistically. And we had to make a decision um, on, on that powertrain technology 
And that's when my focus really, really shifted. And I, I did a lot of research, right? And the more I learned about um, EV technology, the, the more excited I got, because I think what I discovered was that it was much more viable than I realized in, in 2019 even. And, and now four years, you know, almost four years later, it's, it's come a long way, you know, even in that short period of time. So I think I, I really wanted more people to understand how properly integrating this new technology could impact many different vehicle platforms, not just kind of the consumer road going vehicles that we use for, you know, for, um, you know, daily use and, and traveling to and from work. Uh, this is a this is a powertrain technology that really could transform mobility, and it was it, you know it's evolving very fast. So I, that was 2019 is kind of where I got really excited about it, and hmm. um, so so we're we're kind of all in now. And uh, well, obviously, 2019 was was before the uh, huge disruption that COVID brought. So, uh, um, di- did you find at all that it was a difficult time in which to set up a startup company, particularly given that uh, you know your your neighbours down the road, Tesla, were even having problems procuring the uh, parts they needed and the the systems they needed, and you know obviously uh, they are the least likely to have a problem of of, of any EV manufacturer with that. Yeah, it was it was an, an incredibly difficult time, and it made it so difficult, um, you know, just with kind of the economy and and even individually with a small team at that time. I mean, you have to realize we're 2019. We started with you know four or five individuals, and <clears throat> so when COVID hit, it actually stopped everything, and we weren't really able to to kind of get things wound back up and and really become a powertrain focused company until. Uh, until about July 2021, so it took it took a significant amount of time for us to kind of regroup from the impact of COVID, um, and then you know even in in starting back up in 2021 with supply chain um, you know issues and and everything else, it's it's been an uphill battle. Um, but you know I think we've got an you know we've got an incredible team and they're very creative and we've been able to sort through many of the kind of the early stage problems. Of course. So maybe it would be an in- interesting thing to get an insight into the process behind designing, building, and testing um, a hypercraft drive system. So, um, how, how how does it start off? Uh, what kind of size of teams are we talking about here? And uh, do, do you use traditional um, uh, design processes, or do, do you do you have some uh, um, some CAD and you know wind tunnel whatever technology um, um, C- CFD even how, how does it all work and um, what kinds of kinds of systems and processes processes do you use? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. So um, we we leverage a lot of really great modern technology uh, in the design and development and testing, you know of these of these products and you know I think it all kind of leads to you know, the most exciting part, which is really field testing or real world testing in, in the vehicle platform. And we, we have a strong emphasis that that's really where everything needs to come together. But um, we use a lot of uh, digital design and testing and validation technologies um, like CAD and, and CFD, so computational fluid dynamics for thermal systems, um, FEA, you know, the finite element analysis. And even though we really, as a company, we're only, um, uh, 
you know, 100% focused on the powertrain systems, you know, a lot of these powertrain system components, like, you know, the motors, uh, the gear reduction systems, the batteries, the battery packs, and how they physically integrate into different vehicles, you know, we're very involved in that. So, so we use, you know, kind of the digital environment to prove things out. And I, and I would say too, um, we, we have a really strong engineering group, um, but for our customers, we're not, we're not an engineering resource for them in the sense that um, we're a product company and, and we were going to build a complete electric powertrain system. Um, and it was going to be this product kind of laid out on, on a bench or, you know, on, on the ground or in a crate, you know, what would, what would that have to look like for somebody who manufactured boats or somebody who manufactured, you know, a race vehicle, um, like, like a formula drift car, and they were going to to take that system and integrate it into the vehicle. And so there were, you know, some really significant product design challenges, mostly around the battery, because right now battery systems are, are typically built into one enclosure. Um, and that one enclosure is usually designed to integrate into one chassis system. It's very bespoke. And so we, we had to come up with a way to say, <clears throat> how do we provide um, you know, high voltage battery systems that are safe, that are durable, that are reliable, that provide, you know, kind of both power density and energy density options. Um, but they're flexible enough, you know, to integrate into all these different vehicle platforms. And so that was really the kind of the core of it for us was solving the, the energy storage problem. And the way we did it was what, what we call modular packs. And these are, um, you know, from six, 10 and up to 25 kilowatt hour packs that, that get connected together to provide complete system voltage in 400 and 800 volt architectures. And um, I think that, that that's really opened things up and it's been amazing to see uh, where that solves a lot of problems, even for companies that you would accept and you know, expect, right? Um, you know, large corporations that, that have development programs where you know, it's, it's even for them, it's cost prohibitive to do a bespoke battery development. Um, and they can use our modular uh, pack configurations to quickly, to quickly get these vehicles up and running. Um, so, so we're, a, we're very much a product company. We look at kind of the powertrain system as a product and, and in various power outputs, um, single motor, dual motor and four motor uh, systems. And then um, the ESS, side of it both in power and energy kind of offering uh, multiple uh, different kind of lines so that our customers can choose what's the best for them and so there's so there's a significant amount of of kind of standardized product development processes and procedures that we use from that perspective kind of ignoring the vehicle application as much as we can um, and then we do a lot of lab testing um, you know, just bench testing these systems. And then the most exciting part is seeing them go into different vehicle platforms. And we have, you know, um, over 20 different active developments going with customers. And so we get to see these systems, you know, going into all different vehicle applications and being real world tested right now today. And hmm. um, you, you, you mentioned uh, the the modular um, uh, manufacturing you've, you, you've got going there and, and, and the fact that you wanted this uh, product to be as easy to take out of take out of the box and use as possible um, 
I, I was just listening to that and thinking that uh, it, it sounds very similar to, in, in some ways, the kinds of economies of scale that you see with um, with a giant like Volkswagen. I mean, um, I, I know the Porsche Taycan is something that is built uh, to, to be separate from the rest of the from the rest of the group. But like, if you look at the everyday brands of VW, like uh, well VW and Cupra, for example. Uh, and, and Audi, there are many, many things that are shared across the production lines there. Um, how interesting is that to a, to a small company such as Hypercraft? And how much can and do you try and learn from the auto giants and how they, how they achieve economies of scale when it comes to building powertrains? Well, it's an excellent point because I think when you kind of look at a lot of the, the fundamental principles that we use as a business, you know, we, most of this, we haven't invented, you know, we're learning from um, 120 years of, of a, an incredible industry, transportation industry, automotive industry that have solved many of these problems. I think for us as a company, we're, we're really trying to take the learnings of 120 years and say, you know, we, we know, you know, globally within this industry, we know how to develop vehicles really, really well. Um, and um, it's really just a powertrain technology that's changing. And yes, it's changing the way that chassis are made and, and the way that um, these powertrain systems are being integrated into vehicle platforms. But we can't lose those great things like standardizing and developing these platform technologies that, that do create economies of scale and efficiencies. Um, and, and I think it probably, within EV, it, it probably aligns even better because electric vehicle technology is really all about efficiency. You know, um, the performance is incredible. Uh, it's very easy to achieve a very high level of power and performance. Um, I think it's really the focus is, you know, efficiency and a proper integration of the technology. And, and uh, so you see, you know, companies like Volkswagen doing a very good job of developing these platforms and these chassis that can develop all kinds of different vehicles off of. And I think we're just one step below that, right? Instead of it's a, um, kind of like that, that skateboard deck or, or rolling chassis integrated platform for a vehicle to be built on top of, we do that at the powertrain level. And because of that, it's, it's very good across different types of, it, of transportation industries like, like the marine industry or um, industrial equipment or uh, motorsport. Uh, because it's, you know, platforms are very segment specific, right? Chassis platforms are, but, but I think we're, we're constantly learning from, from what, uh, these OEMs are doing right now and how they're solving it. Cause, cause it's kind of a, a, an equal, you know, playing field for all of us, right? We're, there's really nobody that's an expert in this. And I don't think any of us know exactly where we'll be in 10 years from now. Um, other than we know where we want to be, uh, but how we get there is still kind of yet to be written. Hmm. Um, so maybe let's zero in on one of those projects that you're involved with. So um, I saw the video of uh, Kirk Miller, your executive vice president, um, introducing Sierra Cars on YouTube. And uh, Sierra Cars is a really interesting project because it's um, it's it's a club racing EV, effectively, uh, that, that, that they're building out there. And they're using Hypercraft um, uh, drive systems. So... Um, maybe to begin with, talk about like, did they approach you? Did you approach them? Uh, did you see it as a kind of a pet project to show what Hypercraft could do? And well, um, 
what made you excited about collaborating with them in, in particular? Yeah, it's, it's actually a really cool story. So um, back when we were, you know, first getting started as a company, um, you know, one of the things that, that I think is very important when you start to kind of, you know, head in a specific direction is you, you kind of you want some validation, right, from the market and from, you know, potential customers that there's a need. And um, we've we've had, you know, I have a kind of a strong background in, in motorsports and power sports. And so there was this element of hypercraft that we wanted a part of our DNA, which was supporting the grassroots level. And we knew about Sierra cars as a company. Um, they were, they were being built to manufacture in Utah and I was traveling to Salt Lake city. And so I ended up just kind of calling the number online that I found online and Cole Powelson, the owner picked up and I just introduced myself and said, you know, I'm Jacob from hypercraft and um we do electric powertrain systems for for all kinds of vehicle platforms are you ever interested in doing the sierra car and an electric uh, power with an electric powertrain jake i've been waiting for your call for four years and um you know it, it was just kind of like that immediate connection and you know for me it was to hear such a really cool innovative company that you know was was working on uh, bringing kind of like, as you said, a grassroots or kind of a, uh, a much less expensive entry into a very high performance vehicle platform, you know, say that they wanted to do EV. It was, it was awesome. So, so I think from the very first moment, we knew that we were going to work together. Um, and I think it was, it's kind of on the small side right now today. If you look at all the vehicle platforms that we power, it's physically on the smaller side, but it's, it's really high performance and, um, we had to develop some unique solutions for them just in battery capacity and, you know, that being much lower, but the high performance side, I mean, it has almost a 300 horsepower peak output. Uh, so, so small battery packs, very high output. And it was one of, one of the programs that, that allows to kind of flex our development and engineering skills and develop something very, very unique. So we've been excited to be involved in that. And uh, if, if I if I look at the uh, I, I mean I, I I get that you're talking about Hypercraft not Sierra but I, it, it is one of your collaborative projects so I'd like to drill into it for the listeners a bit more. Um, I I mean if if you if you actually look at the car in the launch video it it looks at least to my untrained eyes a little bit like what I consider to uh, what I consider a sprint car to look like. Uh, I mean um, for for those who don't know for those who are listening um, the US racing ladder is slightly different to the European racing ladder and there have been many examples of uh, for example IndyCar drivers, NASCAR drivers who originally um, uh, took part in dirt racing on, on um, with sprint cars on, on ovals, on small ovals and I'm wondering, uh, is that the kind of market that they are looking at or uh, are they looking purely at track-based racing? Yeah, it's, it's you know, it's an interesting vehicle, um, especially here in the U.S. market, and it has a couple different applications. A lot of people kind of consider it the Swiss Army knife of, of um, you know, kind of a racing vehicle platform because it, it can it can kind of be used in all these different directions on on. Um, you know, hard surface tracks, it, the electric version actually does uh, Porsche 911 GT3 cup times. So it's incredibly wow. fast. It's very quick because it's, it's very, very light and it has a lot of torque and it has a lot of power output. Um, but there's also 
um, an application for it to to race in as a feeder series in in kind of rally cross, so nitro cross here in the U.S. Um, and things like that. So, I think Cole's original vision for this vehicle platform was really around um, a school car. So, for tracks to be able to use these to develop and train, um, you know, it's it's very good before you get to like Formula Four or USF two thousand um, because it has the performance. Uh, but but it's a very easy car to handle. It's a very safe car to be in, and so so you know it kind of has that multi-use application, and then it and then it can be used recreationally, off-road and on-road, and um, so there's there's all these different things that that I think they're interested in in promoting within this vehicle platform. But specific to motorsport, it's it is an open-wheel cross car, um, and so it's it's. Uh, it's probably best fit is Nitro Rally Cross today. Hmm. All right. And um, uh, Nitro Rally Cross um, is is one of two competing Rally Cross brands. The other one being WRX, which uh, went all electric a couple of years ago. Um, mm-hmm. What's What's your? Um, I, I I know that you are not here specifically to talk about global motorsport, but what's your view on uh, global motorsports pivot to electric and? Why is it that um, certain series that have pivoted um, to electric, such as ETCR, such as arguably WRX, haven't quite, uh, possibly even Formula E, you could argue, haven't quite picked up the fan base that maybe they expected? Um, it, it seems like um, it, it seems like brands like them because uh, y- you can um, convince someone to switch from one electric car to another. But maybe the uh, the the kind of passion towards buying an electric car instead of an ICE car isn't quite there yet with electric motorsport. Um, what, what's your what's your reasoning or what's your theory behind why electric motorsport in the higher echelons hasn't taken off, and also why there are so few grassroots electric series right now? Well, I th- I think it you know. Um, and and I, I would definitely qualify by saying that these are strictly my probably personal opinions and and to to talk too much about you know why this might be but I think there's there's those two kind of um, points are tied together so so the attachment you know that we have as a fan base to these higher echelons you know especially when you look at like Formula One there's a huge part of it that that's really technology based. And, you know, we, as, as consumers, as fans, we really don't have an attachment to electric powertrain technology, right? Um, we don't really know um, much of the kind of the anatomy, you know, we're working with some off-road programs. What we found is the more that we educate at the grassroots level <clears throat> and we make the product and the technology available to um, to people who are, you know, uh, building project cars and, and they're learning about this technology, the attachment becomes much stronger, right? Because the education is there and, and they start to understand it. And I think we also have to acknowledge it's very different, you know, and, and that we can't really replace um, motorsports that have internal combustion engines with with electric. I think it's it's so different that, you know, we're, we're maybe sometimes in danger of, of expecting too much too early and not being patient enough for, for the transition to take place because, you know, it's a massive shift, you know, and, 
are are kind of you know I, I'll use this as an example. Hmm. Um, you know, back in 2019, I I built a uh, it was a Ford station wagon project car, and it had a Ford small block that I did a stroker. You know, I built as a 347 stroker, and had you know, all the all the components that you know you'd love to do as an engine builder when you're building them in your garage and you know it had keith black pistons and it had you know edelbrock intake manifold and you know it was it's a classic thing and, and you build that powertrain system um and you rebuild the transmission and you have you know four nine inch locker rear end and you know it's like this is what we grew up doing and i'm pretty young you know as as a 36 year old so i still have a I'm kind of in between generations, right? I still have an attachment to, you know, building cars with my dad and understanding how to build Mm. engines. Um, And there's an emotional attachment there. And until Hypercraft, when I really, you know, I was out in the shop helping build high voltage battery packs and, you know, getting into the software and understanding how we, how we digitally tune these systems and and deliver torque and the regen and, and all of this, uh, I, I didn't have that emotional connection to this new technology until I really got involved. And so I think that's where the passion of Hypercraft is, is that democratizing this technology is really, you know, safely putting this new technology in the hands of, of people at, at many different levels of motorsport, right? Including grass, grassroots. And, and I think that will help develop a fan base um, and a really strong future for EV, uh, you know, EV and motorsports and, and I think that's kind of the core of it for me, just my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. But by the way, great flex. Um, age thirty-six, you're you're still young enough to potentially have your own motorsports career if you if you wish to get in one of your own cars um, or get in a car powered by by your own powertrain. Is that is that something that appeals to you? As um, I mean, obviously you're an engineer, but you know we've seen in the past Adrian Newey, Willem Turret, uh, lots of other F1 engineers step into hill climb cars at the weekend. Is it something you'd like to do in your spare time? Oh, absolutely. Um, I I have kind of an EV project car going, and you know it's you know there's kind of purpose and meaning behind it for the company as well. You know things that we can try and and do, but um, you know there's you know off road racing is really popular here in the United States in different kind of sanctioning bodies, and and so I'm very intrigued by the off road racing, um, and I'd love to do that in a Sierra car platform. So I already kind of have plans to. Um, to, to build kind of a very specific Sierra car electric for, um, and go race the Baja 1000. Uh, so a thousand mile off-road race in, in an electric Sierra car, I think it'd be really fun. So yes, I would, I'd love to participate. Well, absolutely. And, um, we've, we've already seen the Dakar rally, um, uh, be, uh, you know, punctuated by, by, by electric vehicles doing really well in it. So there's no reason why it can't happen in the Baja as well. Yeah, exactly. And I, and you know, that's the great thing about racing is that um, it's such an incredible or motorsports in general. It's, it's, it brings so many different people together to solve these challenges and really push the limits. And, and I think when you look back at, you know, the kind of the story uh, behind the 24 hours of Le Mans or D- Dakar, or even, you know, the Baja 1000, which started by uh, an engineering a group within Honda's motorcycle development, I think in 1964. Hmm. And they, they did a thousand miles in Baja to prove that this Honda motorcycle had, had kind of the off-road durability that their customers would be looking for. And, 
you know, it's always been a proving grounds. It's always been a place to go solve, you know, the hard problems and push the limits and do it collaboratively. And, um, and then also share that to the rest of the world to inspire future generations and get, you know, families and, and the younger generations involved and excited. And, and so I think the more of that everywhere around the world that we do bringing EV technology, you know, into the mix, it's healthy for everything. And so, you know, we're excited to be more involved in the future in Dakar. There's some exciting things that, that we are starting right now, um, <clears throat> you know, in other kind of motorsport, um, you know, type, type racing activities uh, that, that our powertrain technology is a good fit for. And, and to do it in a, in a way that's, you know, somewhat affordable, right? I think racing is always tough when you, when you put budgets in place, but I think it's, it's far from a kind of a, a factory supported OEM level development. Um, it's a fraction of that cost to be working with a company like us. Yeah. Um, so someone whose motor racing career um, really caught my attention over the years. Um, and uh, I mean, I, arguably, I think Ken Block did more to uh, take motorsports to a, you know, car culture audience and to to an audience that maybe um, was 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 in, was into more sort of uh, sk- skating or surf culture into in, ter- in terms of his fashion sense, in terms of the kinds of stunts he did for, for, for his for his videos and so on. I mean, it, um, really an amazing driver, um, um, sadly no longer with us, of course, but uh, his his family continues to be involved in 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 racing and rallying. Um, his daughter was in Extreme E this season. Um, how exciting was it to um, be involved with the Block family as part of the Sierra Cars project? I mean, it it was beyond words um, exciting for us. And you know, we didn't when we started, um, you know, working with Cole and the Sierra team on on the development of the vehicle. We had really no idea that that things would kind of unfold the way that they did. But you know, we had just started. Um, you know, really track testing the electric Sierra car kind of around the time that, that we heard the, the tragic news. And, <clears throat> you know, when when Lucy um, wanted to race Pikes Peak kind of in honor of Ken's memory, um, her personal passion and Ken's passion for um, EVs and EV technology, which was very clear with what he did with Audi, um, you know, it was it was just such a great fit. And they actually own, their family owns a Sierra car already. Um, so it was, it was cool just kind of how it all came together. And I think you're totally right. I mean, what they've, what they've, what Ken has done for the, for the motorsport industry is incredible. Um, and that legacy is being carried on very strongly by, um, uh, by Lucy and, and now Leah, who's, who's really, um, you know, an incredible personality, just like mm-hmm. her dad is. And it was cool to see that, you know, through working very closely with their family, um, prior to Pikes Peak and then at the Pikes Peak events. So. So we're very honored and grateful to be a part of that. Has there ever been a moment in your company's history when you know um, you've you've ended up fanboying at someone, um, whether, whether it is you know maybe a famous driver or someone who works for a manufacturer? Um, do you have heroes? Um, I, I definitely do, and I think you know, and just being part of this industry now for for. Um, you know, over 15 years, you know, even prior to Hypercraft, you know, I'm grateful to have, you know, always gotten to kind of work with, 
all kinds of heroes, my heroes, the industry's heroes, um, and and help, you know, help kind of just continue uh, supporting them. And so I, I didn't have the privilege of of meeting Ken Block in person um, at any point, but I've done a lot of things kind of in and around. And um, so he he would have been one that was that I, I definitely would have been a fanboy around. Um, but you know, it's there's there's so many ties you know to you know within motorsport when you're working in the industry you get to a lot of these incredible people very quickly and i've gotten used to um uh you know uh, a conduct that's very professional and you know you're in and around these types of people yeah of course um I, I couldn't help noticing that you have an educational section on your website, and uh, that that was that was intriguing to me because uh, it it, it seems to me like uh, in in a way hypercraft is trying to serve a, um, a, another purpose um, other than simply manufacturing drive systems for manufacturers. You you want to uh, also you know educate people out, outside of there. You know maybe uh, reach out to people who don't know much about how a powertrain works. Um, how, how important actually is the educational work that the company is doing? I, I mean, it's very, very incredibly important for a few different reasons. And, um, you know, one of those reasons is I, th I think people, just natural human behavior, you know, we tend to kind of stay away from things that we don't understand, right? And, you know, we don't want anybody to feel like that. And, and I think also sometimes with very technical product and technical things, you know, there's people that are very in the know and you might not be one of those people that are, that's very in the know. Right. And, mm. you know, so how do you get, how do you kind of get over that hurdle? How do you get involved and how do you get excited about the technology? And I think education is, is core to that. So we do something locally here in the United States called EV 101 and we've had, you know, personnel and engineers from large corporations that come to the EV 101 and we've had, you know, just, um, you know, very enthusiastic, passionate, you know, home car builders, you know, DIY type people that show up to learn about it. And the EV 101 is really kind of our, our primary tool to, to take, um, you know, time in a classroom environment and really dissect the anatomy of an EV powertrain system and give people some exposure to it. And, and so, and then the rest of it, you know, um, we're, we're always educating with, when we're working with our customers, a lot of times we, kind of lay out what they are going to expect along this journey that they that they're on with us now and and so yeah education is super super important and um i i want to uh, briefly mention as well some of your other projects other than sierra so um as i said earlier it's not just cars uh, you're also um uh, building a powertrain for use on uh boats uh, specifically with Myla yacht um so could you tell us a bit about that project and um, what are the engineering difficulties that go with building a um, a nautical powertrain as opposed to a car powertrain? Yeah, and so, well, so the, like a lot of the architecture within the low voltage and the high voltage system and a lot of the way that the components work together um, is, is common to like a vehicle application. But the environment is very different um, and the way that, if, you know, these components kind of physically mount um, and get installed, you know, in a boat or a marine vessel versus a versus a chassis with suspension 
you know, is, is also very different. And so um, we've, I mean, we've set the bar really high with the Mila project. It's, it's a, it's about a 2000 horsepower, 800 volt uh, architecture. It has 400 kilowatt hours of, of battery capacity on board. And it also has a, a diesel gen set that provides um, auxiliary power uh, to recharge the batteries and extend range. So it's, it's very, very complex, but most of the, the engineering that goes into it is really not within the powertrain system. It's, it's really within, um, you know, kind of managing a high voltage system safely in a marine vessel, you know, the, in a, in a car or racing application or something on or off road, you know, it's very easy to get out of and get away from the vehicle. If there's, if there's ever an event, you know, in a boat, you know, that's, that's a totally different scenario. So we've, we've taken a lot more time, um, you know, developing and engineering, the whole system is tested outside, outside the boat. So uh, here in California, it's being assembled right now. Uh, so that whole 2000 horsepower powertrain system with the diesel APU is all being kind of connected with thermals and charging system and cycled and, and run through a lot of tests. Um, and then there's a lot of marine experts that are involved. And we have an incredible uh, team inside Hypercraft that, that comes from the marine industry for applications like this, just to, to kind of know the ins and outs and the challenges um, that we might face. But we also use a lot of help outside of Hypercraft as well to, to make sure that these systems are safe. Um, the end result is a full carbon fiber, 44 foot uh, boat that will go over 70 knots. And we're very excited for that moment to be on water. We have some other, you know, boats, uh, both personal watercraft and um, and other um, smaller power boats that are already running with our powertrain systems in it. But there's really nothing that compares to kind of this this dual prop 2,000 horsepower boat. It's it's going to be really quite something when it's running. Definitely, and uh, something else that's that's definitely shaping up to be interesting is uh, uh, the project you're doing with Scalar Performance, um, which uh, mm-hmm. a, a, again, to my untrained eye, it it looked it looked a bit like a Formula Drift car. It um, is is that so? What what's the general idea with this? It kind of um, to to sort of describe it to uh, the audio listeners. It kind of looks like a souped up uh, Mazda RX Seven almost drift car. Yeah, so the, so the platform um, that Scalar starts with, and, and Scalar is a Canadian company that um, that uses our powertrain technology, and they're um, they're they're very closely collaborating. We're almost kind of working as one big team to, to develop this vehicle, uh, but it's a, a Toyota GR86. Hmm. Uh, so that's that's what it starts out as, and it's. It's a pretty popular car here in the United States to race in club level racing. And um, it's typically like a GT4 or GT5, um, you know, club level car with a, with a gas engine. Um, we've replaced it with, with an entirely new, you know, full front to rear, you know, um, you know, EV powertrain system. So it's, it's, it's really an EV spec car. Um, and it, it'll race in its own class, but it also races uh, at Virginia International Raceway. Um, it was kind of an interesting event because it was the first time that an electric uh, race car raced in GT2 against gas engine cars. 
And I think that's something very notable where we start to see EV go head to head with gas engine cars. And that that's kind of an exciting moment. So a lot more development to do, but it's it's cool to see it out there running and, and racing now. I guess my, my final question really um, is uh, about the future, because um, we're, we're seeing Lucid um, co- um, collaborating on uh, the uh, Formula E Formula E um, 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 spec uh, battery, uh, I believe, and um, I I'm I'm wondering from from that point of view, would it be of benefit to Hypercraft maybe, and is it something the company would consider in the near future or the far future to make, maybe take part in an FIA or you know USAC sanctioned um, electric series as either a spec technical partner or maybe working with a particular team? Absolutely, and. You know, as we kind of grow mature as a company and, and you know, um, we have some some internal capabilities to lean into those programs. I think, you know, we expect some doors to open um, that allow, allow us to get involved and we're excited for that moment to happen. I think what it means, you know, for us as a company versus, um, you know, an OEM is a little bit different for us being involved in some of these programs ties back to a powertrain system access to and so we'd we'd love to you know bring whatever we can you know to the table and um, whether it's battery technology or control electronics technology or um, you know or a complete working system for one of these vehicles start to finish we, um, we we definitely see that happening in the future Okay, well, uh, that's fantastic. And uh, so Jake Hawksworth is the CEO and co-founder of Hypercraft. And uh, I think you've given us a brilliant insight into what it's like to work for a small startup company that is uh, that, um, that, that, that is building, you know, um, to an economy of scale, these really sophisticated powertrains that can, you know, go in motorsports, can, uh, can, can go in boats, uh, can, can go almost anywhere. So it's, it's fantastic to hear that it's happening. And, uh, well, thank you for giving us an insight into how the company works. Yeah, thank you, Stuart. Um, it's been a privilege to be able to chat with you about all these topics. And, and uh, we're, we're excited to be a part of this future. So uh, you can uh, find the all the links for Motion E on uh, linktree.com forward slash uh, Motion E, uh, Motion underscore E, I think it is. And um, also, I very much hope that you'll uh, tune in for the next edition of the podcast. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.